Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, I want you to continue praying for Miss Linda Smith. Her husband, Don, went home to be with the Lord unexpectedly a week ago, as did Brenda Upchurch. Her husband, Mike, was here with us this morning. We have a GCA graduation this afternoon. We are thrilled because uh, one of our own is graduating. Miss Hannah graduates today, praise God. And we have um, uh, congratulations. If you would join me in congratulating Kevin Mislevic, he was unanimously approved Wednesday night as the next pastor of Grace Missions. So let's welcome Kevin Mislevic and Sandy. We are thrilled to have him, and buckle your seatbelts because we're about to kick her in high gear. Also, uh, no Wednesday nights for the rest of the month. That'll resume in June, and um, you may see a crane pulling up this week. Uh, we're not building again the, the, the day after we burn the note, okay? We're actually fixing the roof of the student building. It was damaged a number of years ago in a hailstorm, and I know it's shocking that it's taken years for the insurance settlement to come through, but they're paying to get a new roof put on it, so that's what we're doing. It's going to be re-roofed over the summer, and so we'll work through the logistics of that, but just so that you know what's up. We're in this apologetic series called Genesis Fact or Fiction. I actually started it January of 22 did part of the year, went to Hebrews, came back. I'm going to start taking larger swaths and bigger steps. That's why we're not actually going to unpack all of 13 and 14. I'm going to do a flyover of those today. <clears throat> then I'm going to continue to do that until we get to the story of Isaac and God offering, God asking Abraham to offer him as a sacrifice. You'll recall that. And then we'll come back to Hebrews. And on the second half of this year, we're going to finish the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> so, why does this stuff really matter? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I said, we've got to learn to obey anyway. When the Lord gives us a clear word, we must obey regardless of age or understanding. And as we learn to obey on our journey with the Lord, we must avoid detours of deception. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and just look with me. If you've got them open or they're on your pad, iPad or phone, look at 13, 14 real quick. In 13... Abraham, or Abram as he's still called, is going to inherit the land of promise, what we call today the Holy Land or the land of Canaan. But his family and Lot's family have gotten so big, Lot was his nephew, and there's so many animals that they can't all live in one place. And so what Abraham does, Abram has the right to say, hey, I'm taking this land, you and your crew will go over there. He was the elder, he had the right. But he deferred that to his nephew Lot. And Lot only looked at the beauty of the land. He did not consider the inhabitants. And so Lot ends up taking a beautiful piece of land with some really, really wicked people. In fact, verse 13, it says, 1313, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Lot inherits the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's going to set up a story for us that I'll be preaching on in a few weeks. Invite your friends and family. It'll be fun. All right, so we're going to talk about that. But Abram settles the land. The problem is some of the inhabitants aren't very happy with Lot and his family, and they end up taking Lot captive. Abram has a great strategy, and he divides some of his men, and they go and attack, and they actually free Lot from captivity. The king of Sodom comes out then, and he offers Abram all the spoils of the victory. He says, look, you earned it. Your, lot, your, your nephew Lot is safe, and you earned this. And Abram basically says, no, no, I'm not taking that from you. 
I don't want anybody to say that the wicked people of Sodom made me wealthy. In fact, I'm not going to take anything. Abram gives the first tithe recorded in the Bible. Now, don't wig out on me. I'm not preaching on tithing today. I know some of y'all are like, where's the closest exit? I get it. I'm not preaching on tithing. What I'm telling you is we are introduced to a weird, shadowy figure. He doesn't have any family, no genealogy, no mother, no father, but he's called the king of Salem. He's also known as a high priest. He's a king and a priest. He's actually a prototype, an early typography of Jesus himself. But his name is Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem is the Hebrew for shalom, where we get the word peace. It's also the earliest rendering of the glorious holy city Jerusalem, city of peace. And so this king of Shalem or Salem gets a tithe from Abram. And what's very interesting is he brings out two elements to Abram in his victory. He brings out bread and he brings out wine. And you may say, well, that's just to refresh everybody. Well, it's more than that, isn't it? Because Jesus, at the end of his life as the great priest, king, and the prophet, Jesus also brings out bread and wine. And he gives it all new meaning. What we're actually going to see today is really a snapshot, a precursor of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we circle back to Hebrews in a couple of months and we get into Hebrews 7, we're going to hear again about this fellow named Melchizedek. Melchizedek and, and how he factors into our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. But today, I want to bring you this message and I want to celebrate our freedom today with this, God's promises are greater than our problems. I hope y'all know that greater than symbol, make a great t-shirt. God's promises are greater than our problems. You've probably seen that he is greater than I and the other variants of that. But what I really want us to see today is that Abram looks like he's between a rock and a hard place. So what he's got to do is trust the one who made the rock. He's got to say, God, I believe you more then I am depressed by my problems. And some of you today absolutely need to listen up carefully because your life today is being guided more by fear than by faith. And you might be like Abram and you're asking, God, how? How can I be blessed? But God says, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to cut a covenant. I'll explain that language. I'm going to cut a covenant with you that is irrevocable. And if you'll just take me at my word, you can enjoy the fruit of my promises. So with that in mind, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I was going to call this God's covenant is greater than our challenges, but I kind of liked the ring of God's promises are greater than our problems. So let's look at the whole chapter. I'll do it rather quickly. Verse one, after these things, after what things? After the war, after rescuing Lot, after paying a tithe to Melchizedek. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? In other words, okay, you're my great reward, but what am I going to get? You give me, what are you going to give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then Abram said, Look, you've given me no, uh, and then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. He brought him outside and he said, look now toward the heaven 
and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, maybe the most important verse here, guys, verse 6, watch. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. And then he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then Abram brought all these to God and cut them in two down the middle. And I'll explain all of this. And he placed each piece opposite each other, but he didn't cut the birds in two, so he just placed them. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Notice this is happening even in the midst of God's promises. Being a believer doesn't exempt you from challenge and hardship. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Egyptian captivity, that was a round number, was actually 430 years. But God is looking forward to the days of Moses. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And indeed they did. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, meaning you'll die and you'll be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. So they're going to be in captivity, but they're going to come out with great possessions and they're going to come back to this promised land. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The people that live here are not yet quite as wicked as they're going to be. But one day they're so wicked, I'm going to use your people to judge them and restore the land to them. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. Watch. These things passed between those pieces, the pieces of the animals. And on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Heavenly Father, this is an important, important passage that really links so many things in Abram or Abraham's life to the Exodus and really links it all the way up to our salvation in Christ and the freedom we have in our great prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for speaking through your word, but now we need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. We need hearts to open up and hands and feet to apply your truth. God, give us not only more head knowledge in this hour, give us a heart that is fully inclined to you, and you will make a way where there, there seems to be no way, just like you did for Father Abraham. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, guys, be seated. So how is it that God's promises are always greater than our problems? The first truth I want you to see is this. Fear makes you question how God's promises can possibly come to pass. The text opens up with God telling Abram, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Now, it's not as though Abram's just had some kind of angelic visitor, but Abram's just won a battle with very few men. And I believe the natural inclination would be they're going to come back and seek revenge. These guys living all around us are going to come take us over. And yet the word of the Lord came and said, fear not, Abram. 
One commentator said Abram's life was much like a soap opera. In one episode, he's a triumphant man of faith. He's believing God. He's leaving his homeland. He believes God for a miracle birth. In another episode, he's lying about his wife over and over. In another episode, he's sleeping with his wife's handmaid. In another episode, he's lying again, and he's back and forth, back and forth. Could he really be believing God? Well, the Bible over and over and over says Abram or Abraham was a great man of faith. But it seems as though his faith is as unpredictable as the wind. But there's only one constant in this story, and it is the immovable God. You see, Abram's known as a man of faith, not because his trust never wavered, but because his God never wavered. Your faith is only as good as its object. You put faith in that chair when you sat down this morning. If that chair were faulty, you could have hit the floor. Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. And because Abram's faith was in the one true and living God, he was like a boat a boat that was tossed to and fro on the sea, and yet he was anchored in the rock of ages. And because the anchor did not move, his boat was secure. What are the problems he's facing? Why is he fearful? Well, he really doesn't have any family to call his own. Now, some time has passed since God has already made the promise, get out of your land. A lot of things have happened. He's gone to Egypt during the famine. He's back up toward the promised land. Lot's gone over here. Many scholars say as much as 10 years has passed. He was 75. Now he's likely 85. That means Sarah was 65. Now she's 75. Yet he still has no son. Can you imagine you're 75, 85 years old and you have no child and God is sitting there telling you, look up. Do you see the stars? Your children will be like that. And he's going, well, wait a minute, God. How how is this going to be possible? He said, Lord, what are you going to give me? If you're going to be my shield, if you're going to be my great reward, I am childless. What's going on here? Lord, I don't even have one single heir. How is this possible? I want you to write this thought down if you're a note taker with me today. Look, uncertainty about the future often leads to anxiety. But greater knowledge is not our key to success or key to peace. It is not our key to peace. See, some of you today are all out of sorts because you're worried about tomorrow. How's that worrying working out for you? Bible says it doesn't add one cubit to your stature, right? I'm 6'2 and I know it. By worrying, I'm not going to be 6'3, right? I have my truth, you have yours, according to Oprah. Just go with it. No, the thing is, you and I know that worrying's not going to help, right? We know that that's foolish to worry, and yet we still do it because we're trying to figure it out. But knowing more about tomorrow is not going to ultimately help us. God himself is our shield and great reward. God alone protects and provides. In other words, Abram doesn't need so much to worry about the how is this going to happen as the who's going to make it happen. He needs to keep his faith connected to his great God. He said, you are, God said, I am your exceeding great reward. God is basically saying, Abram, I'm proud of you, son. You turn down the spoils of war. Don't fear. I've got your back. I've got your front. I know you don't have a bunch of sons to protect you yet. I know your people aren't all that numerous 
yet, but like the sands of the sea or the stars of the heavens, I've got this. Trust me, I will prosper you. And so it's like in verse 2 when he says, Lord God, what do you give me? I'm childless and there's this heir in my house. What he's saying to God is, look, God, I don't need more riches. I've got that. But this thing on my heart is that I have no child. You had already promised to make me a father of the nations, but I don't even have one. And there was a custom of the day. You need to understand it. It's a Mesopotamian custom. And what it said was, if you were childless, your chief steward, we might use the word servant, that one in your home that really took care of things, if he had a child, that child could become your heir. And so what he's saying is, I have this fellow in my home named Eliezer. He's from Damascus. And Eliezer's got kids, but are you telling me their kid, his kid, or his kids are going to inherit my promises? And God says, nope, nope, nope. One from your own body. You're going to have your own child and then children. So God addresses Abram's disappointment directly. And you know, Abram's honesty didn't make God angry. God does not lash out in anger here. God's big enough for you to ask him questions. God's big enough for you to express disappointment. Sometimes I think people think being a Christian means it's always got to be great and through gritted teeth. God, thank you. Thank you. you. You don't have to pretend with God. He's big. He can handle your frustration. He can handle your disappointment. And so God is saying, you're going to be a father yourself. But see, sometimes we think if we knew everything ahead of time, we could handle it. That is not true. Listen to me. If you knew all the good in your life at one time, you couldn't handle it. Your heart would explode. I remember when Hannah told us that she had gotten a 34 on her ACT. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't understand what that meant because I didn't take the ACT. I took the SAT long time ago. But when she told me the 34 dad meant that I can basically go to UT and it's all paid for. It's a full ride scholarship. I went, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Because we're thinking, all right, this is our third one going into college. We get this one out and then this one starts and this one's out and this one starts. But Bobby's right on her heels. He graduates next year. And so when she told me that, I was overwhelmed. Today, I'll be standing right up here, and I'll shake all these graduates' hands, and I'll stand right here, and I'll give them a commencement address out of Romans, and I'm going to talk to them about metamorphosis and the transformation we've seen, not only in our own daughter, but in all of the kids. And it's been incredible to watch them all. This is the first class we've seen them go all the way through high school. And we're going to celebrate that. But haven't you ever been so proud it felt like your heart was going to burst? You couldn't take all the good news at one time. And you certainly couldn't take all the bad news at one time. It was October of 2017. Bobby and I were out in a hunting blind. That time we called him Little Bobby, and it was true. He was much smaller. But he kept having to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. We had this agreement that we get, went before we got in the blind or in the tree stand. And, of course, we carried a bottle if necessary. But the point is he just acted like something was wrong. And I kept saying, what is wrong with you? Why are you squirming like this? It's one of the only times I can remember. He's been hunting with me since he was two years old. It's one of the only times I can remember us having to leave a hunt early because he was so uncomfortable. I said, have you been going to the bathroom a lot? Yeah, Dad, even at night. So I said, well, he's got a UTI. He was going to have a physical anyway because to do sports, you know, down there, baseball and all that, you still had to have your annual physical. So Cindy was going to take him. I was flying out a couple of days later to go teach a college class in the Dominican Republic. So um, I thought, well, you know, 
she goes, she gets him checked out. Her father was very sick at the time, and I was concerned about leaving because he could pass at any time. But um, she said, go ahead and go. So I went. Sure enough, I finished my first class. I was giving them their first quiz for the afternoon. And the director of that program walks in and says, you need to take this call. It's your wife. Of course, I'm thinking my father-in-law's passed, and I'm going to need to get back. But when I took the phone, sure enough, Cindy's crying. We've been at the doctor's office. It's, it's October 31st, 2017. I remember it was Halloween because we had a huge fall festival at our church that night that drew thousands of people from the community. And Bobby and uh, Cindy were going to be doing a, a booth. They were going to be giving away candy, candy, candy. And so Cindy's bawling. And, and of course, I'm thinking her dad. And she said, Bobby and I uh, are on the way to the hospital. He's got to be put in the ER, possibly the ICU. I said, what are you talking about? And she said, they just told us he's a type 1 diabetic. And I said, what? We don't have diabetes in our family. What are you talking about? I didn't even know the difference between type 1 and type 2. I didn't know that his pancreas had been shutting down and he had lost weight and he was using the bathroom a lot because his sugar was at 400. I had no idea what any of this meant. I, I didn't have any knowledge of it. And had God told me beforehand, I couldn't have taken it anyway because I didn't understand it. One thing the doctor did tell them, he said, you should be very grateful because if your son were diagnosed type 1, what they used to call juvenile diabetes, if he were diagnosed 90 years ago, this would have been a death sentence. There's nothing we could do. His organs would have begun to shut down. But now through insulin and shots and finger pricks and eventually he would go on a pump, it's amazing what God's been able to do in his life. And all the questions that flooded, it's clear he was only 11 and just a few years into the faith, but it was clear that Bobby was expressing more faith than I was. Because, of course, when I heard the news, I tried to get a flight out. Nothing was available till the next day, and so I made it down. And all the while, I'm thinking, wow, what if, what if they had gone to that fall festival? What if Bobby had done what most 11-year-olds would do on Halloween night and just chowed down on all that candy? He was a fraction of a point away of having to go into the ICU. It would have almost certainly, the doctor said, sent him into a diabetic coma. And possibly worse, had he ingested all of that candy that night. And I think about now where his life is and what he endured, leaving his class, getting his finger pricks all those times, learning to use this new equipment, all that it would take to get him healthy and to keep him healthy. And now you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't look at him and see him. I mean, he's a pretty big kid. He thinks he's bigger than his daddy, but I can still whoop his backside and promise you. Plus, I have bigger guns than he does. But there was no way our family could have processed that, not to mention a lot of other things that happened in that season of life. There's no way our family could have processed all of that news at one time. You have to take it one day at a time, and you have to learn one day at a time, or it is totally overwhelming. Do you think maybe that's why in the context of Matthew 6, when the Lord says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, and do not worry about tomorrow, for sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you think maybe that's why the Lord was saying, all you've got is right now. Why don't you focus on that? And why don't you trust God in the right now? And he'll be in your tomorrow. But walk with him right now. See, some of you guys think if I just knew more, 
I could trust more, and that is not true. It is not what you know. It is who you know and who you walk with every day. And I've watched our son, and I've watched Hannah, and I've watched our girls walk by faith and take the highs and the lows, the victories and the defeats. And if we're not careful, folks, we will let our fear overtake our faith. And fear makes you question how God's promises can possibly come to pass. God, if our son has this, what can he not do? What is it going to limit him from doing? You know what I've seen? He's thriving. I've seen him out there crushing it in every way. Just like I look at Hannah and think, my goodness, how can that kid be so smart? And then I look at her mama and I go, yeah, okay, that makes sense now. But I'm looking at these kids going, it's incredible, but God, I'm glad I didn't know all of the victories because my heart couldn't take it. It's too good. And I'm glad I didn't know all the challenges because my heart couldn't take it. It's too tough. And so Abram's got to learn, God's made a promise and God will keep his word perfectly in his time. So let's not talk about fear anymore. Let's talk about faith. Faith moves you down a path of righteousness and prepares you to receive God's blessings. That's what we're seeing in Abram's story. Faith moved him. Look at verse 6. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, the apostle Paul loves this verse. He uses it in Romans 4 several times. He uses it in Galatians. We see it repeated in James. We see this coming out in Hebrews 11. We see this verse all over the New Testament. But Abram believed in the Lord, and then it was reckoned or accounted to him as righteousness. Now, guys, let me unpack two words for you. Abram believed. When I looked at that in my Hebrew Bible, it is the word, listen to it, A-M-A-N. The the letters are different in Hebrew. I'm giving them to you in English. Uh, I've anglicized them. A-M-A-N. Can you think of a word that kind of sounds like that? Aman. In Greek, we're going to change that second A to an E, and what do we have? Hello? What do we have? Good Lord, wake up. Amen. Aman, amen, amen. It is this idea, you know this, of so be it, let it be. It is a word of confirmation. And in the way that it's written in the Hebrew, it means it's ongoing. I won't unpack all of that for you, but it means he believed and he kept on believing. And it's as though Abraham was saying to God, amen, amen, amen. It's like we sang in that song, amen and hallelujah. I'm praising the Lord, so be it. And the word in its very base form kind of means to support or hold up. When we say amen, we are holding up, we are supporting the word of God. We are acknowledging what has been said. So be it, let it be, amen. And the Bible says that Abram amened God. Abram, Amon, he supported what God was saying and therefore, because of his belief, not because of his behavior, his behavior was at times atrocious, because of his belief, God reckoned, accounted it to him as righteousness. Now, the word accounted there is actually a word that can have several meanings, just like English words often have several meanings, but the word koshab in this context, when I was unpacking it, means a calculation. Let me see if I can explain it like this. It was Abram's faith, Abram's amen, was computed, it was tallied as credit or a deposit in his account. And here's the way we would say that. Abram amened God. Abram believed in God, and God credited his account, deposited into his account righteousness. 
Now you need to let that simmer for just a minute, folks, because I need you to think about this. I need you to think it's not about your sincerity, it is about your belief. You know, in his book, Understanding Christian Theology, Charles Swindoll said this, tragically, many people are convinced it doesn't really matter what you believe or who you believe in, so long as you're sincere. He said it reminded him of a Peanuts cartoon in which Charlie Brown's returning from a disastrous baseball game, and the Peanuts caption read, 174 to nothing. And Charlie Brown said, how could we lose when we were so sincere? And the reality is, we know, Charlie Brown, it takes more than sincerity. You can have a sincere belief that is sincerely wrong. And so then it begs the question, then how can I be made right with God? How is it that I can be right with God? Do I go to church enough? Obey the Ten Commandments? Read the Bible more often? How can I be made right with God? Well, according to this text, you believe in the finished work of God's covenant. What is God's covenant? This is Abraham's covenant. What is the covenant God made with us? Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a new and better way. God cut a covenant with us through his son. And when we believe in the finished work of Jesus, we are credited with the righteousness of Christ. That's how you were made right with God today. It is not your church attendance, nor your giving, nor your goodness in keeping the commandments. You won't be good enough to get to God. Listen, you won't be bad enough for God to reject you. You must come by faith in the finished work of Christ. I'll explain as I explain the cutting of covenant. But notice verse 7. God said, I'm the Lord who brought you out. And again, Abram said, well, how will I know, God? What will be the sign that you're going to fulfill this promise to me? And so then they begin this process, as explained in Jeremiah 34, of cutting a covenant. That's what the Hebrew word actually means, to cut. And so this karath idea means that you take sacrificial animals. In this case, we read through here and we saw, right? In this ancient Near East practice, you bring a three-year-old heifer, female goat, three-year-old ram, and then on either side, you place a turtle dove and a young pigeon, and you are going to cut them in half. Sounds pretty grotesque. But the idea is you cut them, the two parties enter in the covenant, gather together, and they walk through the center of the cut sacrifice, and here's what they're saying. If I break my end of the covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. It's a very serious, very visual thing. We would do it in this way. We might go to the courthouse, we might have a notary public, we might go to the bank, and we might sign a note and somebody may witness it or notarize it. And so it's far less graphic in our day, but it is our own cutting of a covenant. As Ted brings over the fire pit, I want to say that back in 2015, Grace Baptist Church entered into an agreement with Home Federal Bank to construct our student ministry building. Again, we're so grateful for it because it allowed us to worship last summer to do this million-dollar renovation. Two years ago, we started a campaign to reduce and eliminate our debt much more quickly. We had a campaign called Freedom for the Future, And thank you to those who have given. What we said was 50 cents of every dollar would go to debt reduction, principal elimination, and the last 50 cents would be capital improvements like what you see around you. And by your generosity, we're not doing a three-year campaign. We were able to do it in two. And 
here's the cool thing. We're not eliminating freedom for the future. We're changing its name. Instead of freedom for the future, since we are now free of all debt obligation, we're going to call this building for the future. And you say, Pastor, are we planning on building? Oh, buddy, you better believe we're planning on moving forward and to reach more people with the gospel in church and school. That will take some expansion down the road. Not today, but down the road. Why is debt freedom such a good thing? Proverbs 22, 7 tells us that the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. Now listen, I'm extremely grateful for our prior relationship with the bank. We've had a long-standing and excellent relationship with Home Federal, and they've treated us ex exceedingly well. And we made an agreement, and it was important that we honor that. Three years ago at this time, the government was talking about giving out a lot of money. Pretty much every church of size, save one over a thousand in East Tennessee, took a lot of that money. In fact, every Christian school that I looked into in our area took that money. But there was one place that decided we're going to seek God's face in this, and we're going to trust that the people of God are going to give so radically that not only do we not need that money, we're going to see God do the impossible and get us through this thing, and we're going to be better on the other side. And I am so happy to tell you that Grace Baptist Church, we did not take one penny from Uncle Sam because there's often strings attached, I'll just tell you. But I want you to hear what God has done. When I became your pastor, there was just over $3 million of debt here. When we started Freedom for the Future two years ago, there was 2.5, 2 point right at $6 million of debt. So that was one year ago, actually I said that wrong, one year ago today, one year ago today, end of May 2022, there was 2.5, 2.6 million dollars of debt. Since that time, we spent a million dollars on this worship center right at it. We've bought two acres of land at 400,000, a half a million dollars into a new counseling center that's been updated over the last couple of years. And in addition to our budget, which we've met and exceeded in every metric, in addition to that, you have given, and we together, because my family's been blessed to be a part of it, we have given an additional four and a half million dollars to the work of grace. And that's why today I can get this promissory note and tell you as of this moment, we are debt free as a church family. Let's stand up and praise God together for that. Guys, as you're standing, I want to tell us something here. Fear couldn't do that. Fear wouldn't do that. But great faith in a great God has allowed us to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think, and we are debt-free to the glory of God. And as we burned this promissory note, the bank did their part, but it was time for Grace Baptist Church to do her part. And so for God's glory, I want you to look at this, and I want you to remember that just like the money on this building, your sin has also been paid in full. And so I want you to remember Let's see if we can get this puppy to go up. Oh yeah, here it goes. That's getting hot. There we go. Wow, get in there. All right, perfect. Now that ash is gonna drive me crazy on this platform, so we'll have to clean that up in a few minutes. The reality is, folks, that what I see 
What I see here, you see how the smoke's coming out, but that paper's burnt up just like this. There's nothing to it now. This is what Jesus did when he went to Calvary for you. The Bible says that there was a debt you couldn't pay, and it was called death, for the wages of sin is death. But then it says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just like this has come, look at this, to nothing. And there's nothing left. You could try to read it if you want to. You could try to read the devil's charges against you if you want to. But you know what? He can't even read your charges because through Jesus, they've been paid in full. Tetelestai, it is finished. Now, we're going to pray at the end here in just a minute, but I want to finish this. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we recognize in this moment that we can't burn this note because of anything we've done. We can only burn this because of what you've done. Just like this note is eliminated, just like that promise has been fulfilled, through Christ you have perfectly fulfilled your promise. And just like the Lord Jesus, we know, Lord, that we have freedom. He gave us freedom and we can walk in freedom and truth today, and thank you for that. Now let us look to the future and say, what do you have next for your people, Lord? What would you do next through the ministry of Grace Baptist Church and Grace Christian Academy? We are blessed beyond all measure, and we are grateful for the freedom we have in Christ. In his name we pray. God's people said, amen. I want to have you sit, and I want you to listen to this last truth real quick. It's a very short point. Because here's the reality, folks. Fear will make us question, but faith will move us to reception. Faith will move us to receive God's best. But the future, and here's what we see in this text, the future for the people of faith may have great challenges. But God's covenant is always greater. God's promises are always greater. The Bible says that God made a deep sleep fall on Adam. That was the same exact language used of Abram. That was the same exact language used of Adam when God said he made a deep sleep fall on him and he took from his side to make Eve. And so what is that showing us? Remember, Abram has to like shoo the birds away. He says, get out of here, you vultures, because God told him to prepare the sacrifice. He prepared it, but as he's waiting, he has to shoo death away. He has to shoo those who feed on death away. It's like a dark omen. Something bad is coming, and sure enough, darkness engulfs Abram, and he falls into this deep sleep, and then God says, Abram, Here's the truth. I've made you this promise, but you're not going to enjoy it. Now, you're going to live at peace to be an old man, but then generation after generation after generation is going to raise up, and they're going to be in bondage. Over 400 years, they'll be in bondage. That's exactly what happened in Egypt. But then I'm going to deliver them with great possessions. That's exactly what God did through Moses as he delivered the people of, uh, of his own chosen people from Egypt. And as they come back to the promised land, God said, I'm going to use them to judge the wicked people, the Amorites, the Canaanites of this land. And then I'm going to give them this promise. But the promise is going to come after the challenges, after the slavery, after the hardships. Will you still trust me? Will you still believe? Grace Baptist Church has had some challenges, has had some hardship. We've watched since becoming your pastor, being your pastor in just, just a year, and then COVID comes in. That's no fun. I got to tell you, I don't want to do that again. And then we saw what God was doing in growing the church, growing the church, and all of a sudden we're in a global pandemic. 
But through your faithfulness, you've broken every single record in the history of the church from baptisms to new members. And do you realize something? Last Sunday when we had graduate recognition and these precious kids singing and all this stuff going on, do you realize last Sunday was the highest attendance in the history of the church? Uh, Not Easter. Easter, everybody comes out. Everybody gets saved on Easter. But anyway, not Easter, but the highest attendance we've had in years, even a decade plus at Grace Baptist Church. It's hard for you to see that because you can't be every at one time, but as I'm looking at it, it's been a very long time because God has been so faithful and sometimes you have to go through the flame to get out on the other side. Abram believed God. He accepted what God said and God said, I'm going to do this for you. Now listen to me, folks. When you think about what Jesus Christ has done, the Bible says we owed a debt we could never pay. The only way you could pay God's debt is death. For the wages of sin is death. But God said, I'm going to send my son and he'll be tempted like you guys are tempted, but he will never fall in sin because he's the perfect one, the God man. And he will willingly go to Calvary's cross. He will willingly lay down his life. He will willingly allow them to put the crown on his head and the nails through his hands and his feet. And he will look down and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And by his death, burial, and resurrection, I will forgive their sin and heal their land and all you have to do is believe and when you believe you receive and it is though God takes your sin debt and when Jesus cried to Telestai paid in full he lights it aflame and it disappears forever and I could try but there's no way I could put this back together again and you might try but there's no way your sin past or present or future will ever keep you from the love of God if you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus. But some of y'all, some of y'all still thinking, I'm not good enough. That's right. You're not. Get over yourself. I haven't been to church enough. That's right. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. Sitting in my garage won't turn me into an automobile. Come on. It's not your location. And so the reality is this, get over yourself. Quit trusting in what you can know and understand and trust in who made you, who saved you, who's calling you, who wants you to find freedom. Listen, I believe God rejoices when we are free as a church and we have more resources to help the lost and the hurting. I believe there's rejoicing in heaven over such things, but I believe there's far greater rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents and comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When their sin note is burned and when their debt is paid in full, I believe there's more partying going on through the halls of heaven. So why won't you come today? Faith will move you down a path of righteousness and prepare you to receive God's blessings. As the band comes up, I'm going to ask you to surrender to Christ today. I'm going to ask you to have your sin debt paid in full today. Jesus has already done it. Now you simply accept it. I want you to offer a prayer of thanksgiving today. In the first service, we flooded the altar. Some of you remember when taking on the debt. Some of you have been paying on it all of these years faithfully. Some of you have just come along and you've started helping, but you know what debt freedom does for a church. It allows us to move forward even faster. 
So I'm going to ask you to come and offer a prayer of thanksgiving. If you need to give your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to come to a pastor or a counselor. And if you're unable to do that for any reason during the uh, invitation, come and see Miss Cindy and I at the end and we'll plug you in with somebody. But I want you to come and find the peace that surpasses all understanding. It is not about knowing exactly what your future holds. It is all about knowing who holds your future. Stand with me as we rejoice in the fact that God's promises are always greater than our problems. And I rejoice in the fact that I didn't burn the brand new stage. That would have hurt my feelings. I'm almost glad I've got some ash out here. Because here's what I know. The devil likes to remind me of my past sometimes and likes to remind me of old sin. And today, just looking down at this, I don't know, maybe y'all on the balcony can see it. Looking down at this, you know what it reminds me of? Devil, God doesn't even see that when he looks at my sin. It's burnt up and cleansed. It's washed away, not by flame, but by the blood of the lamb. And as much as he wants to put this back together again, even the enemy himself can't put it back together again. It's more broken than Humpty Dumpty. It's shattered because when Jesus said it is finished, it's exactly what he meant. It's paid in full. And if you want that freedom today, and if you want to express your gratitude today, I hope you'll come just to pour out praise to God. When I say amen, the altar is open. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.